Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, if, uh, if tradition uh, struck your home in any way, it is likely that if you have young children that there is a place in your home, maybe in your grandparents' home, but there is a place somewhere with a bunch of measurements with names next to them. Perhaps it's on uh, a, a door jam, or perhaps it's on a wall, or perhaps you have one of those really nice decorative rulers on the wall somewhere. But if you have children, perhaps there was a moment in life where they were in the means, in the mode of attempting to figure out how old they were, and they wanted to keep a record of, or how tall they were, and they wanted to keep a record of those heights. It might be because they were attempting to try to figure out when they would be tall enough to ride the rides or when they were tall enough to do some specific thing at the fair. Or maybe, maybe it might be because they wanted to know when they were taller than mom or dad. Let me just say at a certain point in life, at a certain point in, in all of our lives, we are going to, and I will tell you, if there's a group of 30 adults, or 30 year old adults and older, I can tell you right now there's going to be lots of differences, but one thing is true you're all done physically growing. I'm sorry to tell you, the height you have is what you get. I have to tell myself that some days. <laughs> Steve, this is it. We had a ruler in, in our home. Um, when, uh, when my kids were a little bit younger than they are now, and the ruler hung on the wall in a home that we had actually purchased. There were markings on there for each of the kids as they got taller and taller and taller, and then eventually, as God called us on, we moved and we sold that home. We moved to a new home. But before we did, we packed up our things, pretty much everything we could, and as the day got closer, I got out the drill and I attempted to unscrew the screws that held the ruler to the wall, only to find out that the paint on the back had adhered itself to the ruler. And without, and if I were to take it off, I would not be able to do so without ripping the paint pretty good on the back. And so what we did to solve this issue was we took a picture of the markings on the ruler which is somewhere in cyberspace on one of our previous computers. But the purpose was to be able to transpose that onto a new ruler that we might hang somewhere else in, in some other home. But what I can say is that ruler now hangs, oh, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but hangs in that home somewhere with the heights of each of our children to a certain age. And the biggest thing that I remember specifically about their birthdays is when we would do it, was that these are the moments when we record the heights of each of our children. And there were different places where there were different size spurts. It wasn't necessarily steady. There were times when they grew, uh, you know, a lot, maybe three inches. They had a growth spurt or they grew just a little bit here and there. And there were times when there was frustration because, hey, I wanted to get a little bit taller than I am now, but so-and-so is catching up to me. We grow every single day. 
We grow in some way every single day. And spiritually speaking, we grow every single day. Recently, I was praying with some people, and they were praying aloud, and one of them thanked God for the day. I don't know if you've ever prayed and thanked God for the day, thanked God for the meal, thanked God for the things in your life, but thinking about that, I just stood there for a moment, and I will confess, I, I, I didn't hear much of the rest of that prayer because I was thinking about, do I truly thank God for this day? Because this day is an opportunity. Right now, the day we're in is an opportunity for us to be able to grow in our faith and to become more like Jesus, to know him in a greater way. And perhaps the open-ended question that we should be asking this morning as we walk into this idea, this concept of, of, of establishing and evaluating and looking specifically at the fault lines in our lives is, what are you growing into? You may have pictures texted to you, or maybe you've seen them on social media. This is the season, or we just passed the season of holding up the sign that says, my name is, this is the grade I'm in, here's the things I like to do, and when I grow up, I want to blank, right? I want to be a fireman, I want to be a teacher, I want to be whatever it might be. Well, the steps, in a lot of ways, the steps have to be put into place for us to get to the, from point A to point B. No one becomes an astronaut just simply by putting at the bottom of their paper when they're in second grade that one day I want to be an astronaut. There are things that must take place. And so today as we walk through this opener for this series, it is going to be somewhat practical. In fact, we're going to walk through some specific steps, steps that maybe you are already aware of. But at the same time, it's going to be something where it's, it's hopefully a motivator for us to, to look at and not, not be, be blinded by the urgent or blinded by the busyness or blinded by the things around us, but instead to focus on what God truly calls us to do, and that is to grow and to become more like Him. There's other things that are important. There's other things out there that we should, we should look at, that we should do, but all of them should be hinged on or should be a, an outpouring of our desire to be more like our Savior. Jesus. Today we journey through the highlights, uh, or, or we journey through highlighting the fault lines in life. And by defining fault lines, there's, there's a couple of books out there called Fault Lines. So if you did any kind of research on this, we're looking at a specific book called Fault Lines by Steve Deneff. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually got this kind of a, a color and, and graphic on the, on the front of it. And these fault lines specifically are defined as challenges that transform your soul. A fault line is a, is a challenge in life that God can use to be able to transform you for the greater good. A fault line is something in your life that you may think, this is the worst thing in the world. I want to escape this. I want to get away. I don't want to be part of this. I don't want to hear this anymore. I don't want to be in this environment anymore. But somehow God takes that situation, takes that instance, takes that mourning or that loss and says, here, I want to bring forth a new day, a new understanding for you. Perhaps for you, you look back in life, and this is a, a maybe an easy way to define it. You look back in life and you see the things in life that were the worst things possible. And in many cases, when we give those things to God, those are the instances, those are the times, those are the seasons in which we grew the most. When you hear a testimony, 
If you were here for the baptisms a few weeks ago and you hear the testimony, one of the testimonies specifically, the person talked about the, 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 uh, the addictions they were in, all the things that took place, and how God used that opportunity for them to have their eyes and ears open to be able to hear Him to move forward. And looking at that, it's not a defining characteristic for their life anymore, but instead it's a launch pad for understanding and knowing God in a greater way. He uses the darkness as a means to be able to help us to grow so today, as we look at this highly practical sermon, and we're going to walk through it specifically, let us note that we can hinder the growth. You can hinder your own physical growth, but instead we must implement specific things in life so that we might be nourished and grow with Him. If you've got your scripture with you today, I'm going to read from one of Paul's letters his first letter, in fact, to the church in Thessalonica. And what basically a lot of the New Testament is after the Gospels, they're letters. They're letters that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote to different churches and individuals for encouragement. Uh, he, he wrote them to, to correct them. He also wrote them to be able to try to share true and, and specific doctrine because a lot of times they didn't fully understand. They didn't fully know what they were supposed to be doing because there wasn't all of these records. There wasn't a specific manual, so to speak, that we have now. So in the first letter, chapter 4, we're going to pick up in, in verse 1, he's discussing what it looks like to live to please God. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instruct you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Because pleasing God isn't just about desiring this or writing it at the bottom of our card that, hey, one day I want to please God, Right? I'm Steve, and I'm in whatever grade, and I, I, I want to please God. No, it, there is, has to be some practicality behind that. So Paul gives instruction, says, Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions He gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual morality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and, and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you His Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for your, yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do not in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anybody." This passage is extremely interesting. It starts off with some specific instructions, some pointing towards what's most important, goes into the, to some very uh, specific instruction on what not to do and what to do, and then finally circles back like Paul often does in most of his chapters to talk about the importance of unity and the body coming together. But then in the last few verses, this is like the introvert's dream right here, right? 
And the last few verses, if you read that just outside of context, just take it at face value, it's like, oh, go live in a cabin in the woods and, and be away from it. That sounds great, right? That's not what Paul's saying. What Paul's trying to express here, and I'm just going to, uh, this is kind of a side note just as we go. What he's attempting to express here is, look, don't be busybodies. Don't be gossips. Don't slander one another. It's still talking about this concept of unity. At the same time, he's saying don't be dependent on others, not because we're not supposed to engage with one another and, and support one another. What he is saying is don't be lazy, but instead work, move forward, which harkens back to the beginning of this passage, which talks about uh, the practicality of stepping forward in loving God. And even kind of reflects upon uh, last week as I talked a little bit about this concept and understanding of doing everything to the glory of God. It's hard to be lazy and do things in the glory of God at the same time. And let me define the difference. There is a difference between being lazy and resting. Those are two different things. God calls us to rest. Rest is scriptural. Rest is spiritual. Laziness is denying that there's anything that any responsibility we have, stepping away from God's call and doing nothing. And so right here, just a, a moment of reflection upon this passage. We, we have instruction. We have specific direction. We have unity. And we have this, this, this concept that envelops the entire thing, which is to do all things to the glory of God. The first point is this. If you're following along in your note guide, the first point is this. Spiritual growth is goal-oriented. Verses 1 and 2, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instruct you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. What goals do you ask? What, what goals should we be doing right here? Paul already kind of spells this out for the believers because they already know. It's one of those situations where you, you've got, you know, the, the I know what I should do, but I don't want to do it mentality. And I feel like that's a little familiar. If you know anything about Paul's writings, he, he, he spells this out in a very confusing manner. I know what I should do, but I don't do it. Instead, I do my own thing. And he's trying to press upon the, the importance of, of stepping forward in the truth. While, while maybe, maybe you know what to do, maybe you know what you should do, maybe you should, uh, you have all these thoughts. Paul's saying, okay, you know it, now do it. The first thing that, that Paul calls us to do or tells us to do is to step forward and to be like Jesus. And that might be like the Sunday school answer of, of course, Pastor Steve, of course we know we're supposed to be like Jesus. Of course we know that that's the goal of what we're supposed to do. And, and while we put that out there, we know that, that, okay, well, that's what Scripture says that we're supposed to do. But what does that actually look like? Let me say, first, off, first and foremost, as we look at this concept of being like Jesus, it's not just about going around and, and literally carrying a cross or having long hair and a beard or, or wearing sandals. That's not exactly what the passage is talking about. Instead, what this passage and much of Scripture is talking about, especially as Paul writes when it, when, it, when it refers to being like Jesus, is to have the same character, the same nature as Jesus, which is loving, which is humble, which is not self-serving, but a selfless. Although some believers might think that God saved us to be happy and healthy and wealthy and everything will be fine as soon as we become a believer, right? Everybody experienced that, haven't we? No, don't put your hand up. No. No, when you become a believer, things, things begin to take off, right? Because one of the things that takes place is Satan is going to leave you alone if you don't follow Jesus. To some extent, 
You don't, you're, you're really just kind of okay. If, you're, if your mentality is, you know, Jesus is just all right, right? And he's like, okay, that's fine. But as soon as you determine that it's time to follow Jesus, things are going to change because the enemy is after you. But at the same time, things change because the power of God is in you. He doesn't save us to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. He saves us so that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. Listen to Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, the Apostle Paul deeply longed for the Christians in, in Galilee when he wrote his letter to them to become like Jesus. And, and, and really, one of the, the phrases that he uses that I think is most interesting is this sculptor. Jesus, or God being the sculptor uh, of the clay into the image uh, of who he is through their mind and their, their, their body, their spirit, so that God molds his children into the image of Christ. Get this, we are like clay in the potter's hand. My, my, my kids and, and my nieces and nephews like to play this game. They haven't played it for a while, but they used to play this game um, where they would get Play-Doh, right? And then there would be a challenge like, okay, you have to make a certain dish or you have to make a certain animal. Or you have to make a certain thing. And they would, they would get a certain time limit. And then once the challenge is given, they would all begin and they would start to make a specific thing. And I would watch them as they would mold the Play-Doh and they would take the different pieces and they would get it all together and they would shape it and it looked so nice as their gentle hands would, would mold the, the, the Play-Doh together and make a, a, a perfect piece of pizza or a perfect horse or whatever it might be. They had to make this perfect thing, right? But sometimes, sometimes the menu or the challenge called for something a little different, a little more unique, maybe like spaghetti. And in, in the case of spaghetti, they would take out these tools that would take the nice ball of clay that was ready to be molded, and they would shove it into this nice little plastic piece, and then they would scoop it through, and all the little pieces would come out. Or they'd put it through a little grinder, and they would grind it all up, and you'd see the Play-Doh just get destroyed and, and, and hurt and ruined. And I think about that for a moment. I think, man, the clay that was just being nicely kneaded and molded probably was so happy, but the clay that had to be run through these diabolical machines, what pain and what sorrow they must be going through. But then I'm reminded of the end product of when that nice, that nice spaghetti or that nice image or whatever it is they were making was placed on the plate or placed on the platform or placed on the pedestal to be uh, put before the judges to decide which was the best. And what an encouragement it was to see the beauty of what took place as that clay was molded, as the, as the, as the, the, the potter of the clay molded those things by using tools and by using their hands. It's interesting sometimes in life when we look at our lives and we look back at the difficult things that we went through, how when we just give it to God, He can bring forth real and lasting beauty. He makes all things new. He redeems all situations, all darkness. And the second point under that plot is this. What's our goal? What are we to do? We're to glorify God. We're to glorify God when we're in that nice 
the needing part of it, where, where we're just being needed in, the, in those gentle palms, and we're also to glorify God when we're being pressed through the ringer, so to speak, in difficult times in life. When Jesus was troubled by thoughts of his imminent death, his desire, get this, was to glorify God. Certainly, he, I'm sure that he did not want to walk through it. Certainly, I'm sure that he, he, he knew, recognized the pain, the physical pain, the torment, the emotional pain, the, the trauma that was to come. But his heart and his words were, not my will, but yours be done. When we know the pain to come or when we're living in that season, is our heart's cry, are our words, not my will, God, but yours be done. You know, I, I, would ask, I, I would ask this as we kind of ponder our own thoughts and we ponder the issues that we've gone through in life. I, I would ask this. When you look back at the fault lines, the issues, the things you've gone through in your life, and possibly the prayers that you might have prayed, God, get me out of this. God, release me. God, get me through. If he had answered that prayer, would you be where you are today? Perhaps the, the, the torment you went through and the loss that you suffered and all of those things, obviously there's, 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 there's a desire that you would not want to walk through that, but the way that God molded you and formed you as a result of it, would you be where you are today? Would you have or could you have been if God had taken you from that place of darkness when you asked? The second point is this. The second big point is this, main heading. Spiritual growth is gradual. Spiritual growth is gradual. We can't take a pill and just automatically be on the same level as the Apostle Paul, right? If we could, I mean, that, that would be neat, but that's not something that takes place. Instead, our sanctification will not be complete until we're actually face-to-face -face with Jesus. And, and so, as we walk through this process of life, as we walk through all that we are, we must recognize that tomorrow or today, I'm not going to necessarily be, at, you know, the, 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 the most holy of holies. I'm not going to be in a place where somebody else might be. So, number one, that means eliminate the comparison game. And number two, that means recognize that today, worry about about today, or not even worry, you shouldn't even do that, but today be concerned with today. Today be concerned with the moment that you have in this day, in this very day. Now, don't think about what you've got at work this week or the different meetings you have or everything. Instead, focus on this day. You have this day to be able to grow and to become more like God. Some of you may not know this or believe this, but at one point in my life, the profession that I had was that I was a chef. Thank you for not laughing. Some of you did. In fact, I, uh, I worked at a, at a restaurant. It was a very high-class restaurant for all the big boys. Big boy was a restaurant. Okay, there. <laughs> Just so you know. And when I began at this restaurant, I started as a dishwasher. I would bust the tables, I would wash the dishes, and I actually kind of enjoyed it. It was kind of a, a fun thing. I, I, I enjoyed kind of the routine of the work and the people that I worked with. And over time, I recognized that the chefs, they had a good time, they were, they were enjoying their time, 
And I thought, that, that's kind of fun. I, I would like to be a chef one day. And so over the, the course of the next several months, I, I began to do things to help out the chefs. I began to learn how to, to work the, the salad bar, to put it out and to take it down and to, and to make salads and to make some of the smaller things. And over the course of time, I learned more and more, and I was given more and more opportunity to be able to do some of those things until eventually one day the manager said, hey, you've been working really hard. I want to train you in the kitchen. And I was so excited. I thought, wow, I've been working hard. I've been walking through this. I've been paying attention. I've been doing all the right things. And so I, I stepped forward and said, yeah, that sounds good. And so I went through this rigorous process over the course of the next couple of months, learning the menu and learning how to do all the things, and learning where the food was and all the rules for handling food and all those types of things. And eventually I got to a place where I could be an assistant chef, right? And as time went on, I learned more and more, and I eventually became one of the, the, the main chefs. And shortly after I became a main chef, I, I, um, I talked to my manager because my cousin wanted to work there as well, and so he got a job there, and we began to work together. And after one week, after one week of me being a full-time chef and my cousin working there, we got a call from the office that they were closing our restaurant. And either way, I think it was my fault, either because of my vouching for my cousin or because of my cooking abilities. And I will tell you now, that is the extent of my cooking career, my, my cooking career even at home for the most part. But as I look back at the steps taken, I look back at the gradual steps that needed to be taken, I, I recognize that, hey, it wasn't going to start overnight. It wasn't going to start on, on, on day one or day two or day three even, but instead it was going to be a long process. We, we live in a microwave culture, a microwave culture that says, hey, I want it now. I want what I want in this moment. I'm not willing to wait for it. I'm not willing to work for it. I'm not willing to move forward. Let me tell you, in most places in life, that doesn't work. And I will tell you for sure, specifically, it doesn't work in relationships, namely your relationship with Jesus. It can't work that way. And so the heart of it is that this is a gradual process. In fact, the, 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 point, the first sub-point underneath that one is the Holy Spirit gradually transforms us into the image of Christ. It's a gradual process. God does not expect us to achieve spiritual growth on our own. And that's the other thing that's amazing about it. If you look at the first half of that point, the Holy Spirit. It's not us doing it on our own. It's not us walking through the steps. He's given us everything we need to lead a godly life, but... He also is there. His divine nature steers us and guides us and brings forth an opportunity to be able to grow. You know, verse 4, it says that every one of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. That's not something where we simply just step into it and we're able to do it. Instead, that is led by the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Spirit who transforms us into His image. It's so good to know that we're not in it alone. It's so good to know that you and I don't have to try to figure this thing out on our own, but instead, as believers, when we give our heart to Christ, that the Spirit is our guiding light. He's the one that brings transformation. He's the one that, that brings forth an opportunity for us to be able to even cope with the fault lines. And the second point under that main plot is this. Fault lines provide opportunities to grow, for, to grow spiritually. 
Fault lines are those unexpected adverse circumstances that shake our lives. I'm going to kind of just parse this out a little bit so that we can understand fault lines to start this series. I remember where I was on September 11th, 2001. And I would say that was somewhat of a fault line experience for me, even though I was reserved. I didn't know anybody who uh, was in New York or in Pennsylvania or in Washington, D.C. I didn't know anyone that was on any of the planes. But for me, I was, I was in college at the time, and I remember specifically what took place on the campus around me. Yes, I went to a Christian school, but it was amazing to see the people that would, would that were, the, the, the way that the Spirit was leading, the way that people were praying. I, I remember specifically going into the cafeteria and people just standing on chairs, uh, leading their table in prayer, and as we, as we attempted to try to uh, walk through what was taking place around us, but at the same time as we attempted to try to just allow God to change, to transform uh, not just those that were affected, but ourselves as well. God, use this moment to change us, to transform us. No matter, no matter how intense, however, the fault lines may be, God uses them for good in our lives. Physically speaking, fault lines are places in the earth's crust where uh, plates are cracked. And I don't know a lot about this, so uh, perhaps this is a place where if you'd like to do more study on it, you can. But uh, cracked like, like uh, um, concrete, uh, when you see a crack in the, in the concrete in a sidewalk. And the movement and the pressure from the earth's inner core keeps jostling these plates around until two of them knock into each other. And the interesting thing about the fault line is three things, three possible things can occur. One, they can move apart from each other. They can separate. Number two, they can, they can rub along one another and, and create uh, friction there. Number three, they can jam into each other. Sometimes when these, these movements take place, sometimes they destroy. If you, if you remember uh, Mount St. Helen and the disaster that took place there uh, from, from the uh, volcanic eruption there in the 1980s, but sometimes they also can create beauty. And that, that, that difference from destruction and beauty is important because that's us reflecting upon our God. That beauty we see through Victoria Falls, one of the natural, one of the seven natural wonders of the world, which was created through the movement of these plates, these fault lines. Earthquakes are uh, also spiritual fault lines that cause soul shifts. These are seasons of life in which we feel movement, pressure, friction, and heat as our souls deal with unfinished business. They're always disruptive, they're often unfair, but they're not always bad. And the reason for that is it either can make us better or worse, it's how we reflect upon who God is. So when fault lines come, we can either say, Father, save me in this hour, which leads to a control through our bondage, or we can say, Father, glorify your name in this time. The only way we can survive. The third point is this, spiritual growth, main point, spiritual growth is assisted by daily practices. And this is where we get specifically into the practical, and I'll I'll just park here for a moment. We can actually do something to put ourselves into a place of growth. That's the amazing thing. That's where we separate laziness from actually working, from moving forward, from doing something. The practice of reading and obeying God's Word is an actual daily practice that changes lives. 
It changes our perspective. It changes who we are. It can change how we react, how we respond, everything that we do. Jesus emphasizes the role of God's word in our spiritual life in John chapter 17. It says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. It can be so affirming, so affirming, especially in a time of darkness, to sit down and just allow God's word to bring forth truth and clarity and bring things into focus in your life. Peter also understood this. In in 1 Peter 2, he wrote, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Remember the milk does a body good commercials? Remember those? It shows the commercial of, of, of a child that's drinking milk. And they get older and older and older. And it's a great imagery of what takes place spiritually as we engage in the, the Word. Although at some point that milk transforms into meat, which is also a discussion to be had. But right there we recognize that the proper fuel, the proper nourishment is what brings forth real growth in our life. And that proper nourishment is not from a magazine or from a website or or from a news site or from another person even. That proper news comes from the truth of God's word alone. Now, the Spirit will work in other means. The Spirit will work through other things that we see, but it must be rooted specifically in the truth of His Word. I'll just say this too. Simply owning a Bible, simply carrying a Bible around, simply having the, the Version Bible app on your phone isn't enough. It's just not enough. You can't just put it under your pillow and expect the next day that through osmosis somehow it seeped into your brain and you got it you got to read it. you got to listen to it. you got to do both at the same time. Sometimes that's helpful. But allow the, the Spirit to work through the Word. By equipping ourselves with God's words, we successfully ward off what the devil does, what the devil can do, and what the devil will do. In fact, in Ephesians 6, it reads like this, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Think about starting the day without the protective gear for a firefighter, for somebody in the military. You wouldn't do that. No, that protection is important because that's what's used to be able to keep you from from the the attacks of the other side, the evil one, the the things, the snares that are out there. Then finally, the second point under that, the practical is this, the practice of prayer. The practice of prayer. What would life look like if we recognize the fact that we have the opportunity every moment of every day to be able to engage with the creator of the world? And the little worries we have or the big concerns we have or the, the monumental fault lines that we walk through, if we, just addressed, if we just recognized we could address the God of all creation, how would that change our perspective? In addition to equipping ourselves with God's word, we ought to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests from Ephesians 6. A children's chorus has the key to spiritual growth when they sing, read your Bible, pray every day, and you will grow, grow, grow. Prayer does change things, but it also changes us. Prayer changes us and how we experience, how we recognize the fault lines, the difficult things in our lives. Transformation is about God rewiring our souls until we are only, so we are not only to do things differently, but we actually want things differently. Get that? It's not just about doing, but it's also these new desires, this new understanding of how God wants to change, transform, and use us. 
But ultimately, I want to back up for just one moment. I'm going to read the preamble to this passage. In, in chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, it reads like this, May the Lord make your love and increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May He strengthen your hearts so that, the will, so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all His holy ones. May He strengthen you. Ultimately, the, the main point is this. Spiritual growth ultimately comes from God. So while we have practical things we can do and step forward from, let us recognize that it doesn't come from our own action, but it comes from an openness. It comes from a power that, that, come, that, that is beyond us. His power, His provision, His direction, all that He is. And often, it comes through trials. I had a, a friend, he's a pastor as well. He he's he's, uh, was somewhat of a mentor to me for a while. He's an older gentleman that has uh, adult children. And as I close, I want to share just a, a brief, just a, a brief picture of what took place. As one of his daughters, she was married, she had children. She was working full time, and one night as she was driving, she got into a car accident. And through this car accident, she suffered a severe head injury. And obviously, this was a jarring thing for their family because they were believers and they knew Jesus. And so as they, as they walked through it, they asked the questions, God, why would you let this happen? Why, why, would, you, why would you allow this impact to take place? We, we love you. We follow you. We want, to, we want to know you in a greater way. And while his daughter never fully recovered, she still had the, this understanding of who God was, perhaps in a way that's difficult for many of us to understand as we walk through life with all the other things that, that take place. And I remember specifically as my, my friend, he was actually, uh, he was a pastor as well, and he's preaching and he's sharing a, a, about this type of subject, this type of, to this topic of, of seeing God in the trials and going to God when we walk through the darkness. And he, as he concluded uh, the, uh, the, the sermon that day, he, he concluded with, with a song that I'm going to share the lyrics to as his daughter came out and sang these words. It's called blessings from Laura's story, and it goes like this. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for, pro for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering, all the while we hear each spoken need. You hear each spoken need. Yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. And the chorus reads, because what if blessing come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness, we doubt your love as if every promise from your word is not enough. All the while you hear, you hear each desperate plea and long that we'd have faith to believe. When friends betray us, when darkness seems to win, we know that pain reminds this heart this, that this is not our home. 
What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of the greater thirst that worlds can't satisfy? And get this, what if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the toughest nights are your mercies in disguise? What if, it, what, if are the, what if it is the issues in our life that God uses to bring forth the real and lasting transformation that he wants to bring? What if it's the, the moments in life that we just assume forget or that we ask God to, to keep us out of? What if it's those moments that God wants to use to change you? Often I'll do a funeral, and typically one of the things that I do at a funeral, especially if the person is a believer, is we'll spend time not just mourning their loss, but also celebrating their life. Because while that is a loss, especially for the, the, the loved ones, it's a loss for the kingdom, it's a loss for, for us here as the church when a believer passes away, but it's also an opportunity for God to use loss for His goodness. couple of challenges this morning. The first one is face the fault lines. Embrace the fault lines. Perhaps you're walking through a fault line right now. Don't pray it away. Don't wish it away. Embrace it. The second challenge is this. Take inventory of your life. Your investments, your time, your talent, your treasure, your words, your thoughts, your deeds, and ask yourself, what am I growing up to be. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we come to you now in this moment thanking you, God, for the reality that you are present and that when we celebrate, you're present. And then when we have difficulties, you're present. And Father, no matter what we walk through, you are there. You are leading, you are guiding, you are encouraging, you are comforting, and you know what we need. God, I lift up the, 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 the fault line situations, the fault line uh, issues that are taking place within our congregation and within our sphere of influences, God, that you would be with each one. That, God, our perspective would be that, not one of how can I get out of this or how can I be free from this issue, but instead one that, that focuses entirely on how we can glorify you and become more like your son. God, I pray that when we take stock of our life that we would recognize that all of us are growing in some way. All of us are, are spiritually growing or we're spiritually dying. We're all growing in some way. That never, ever stops, Father. And when we look at our lives and we take inventory of our lives, may we recognize how we are growing. May we glorify you in our words. May we glorify you in our actions. May we step forward, God, to attempt every single day to know you and grow in you. God, I pray for your strength. I pray for, for, uh, for, especially for this season as we walk through the things that are taking place outside of this room and outside of this, this uh, live stream. And at the same time, as, as we walk through the, the things that we're going to study, the things that we're going to understand from your word through the course of this season inside this room and on this live stream, God, may we be ever present and open to your leading. May we hear your voice. May we know you. May we glorify you. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for how you continue to engage us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Before you go, 
Let me just, let me leave you with this. Let us cooperate with the Holy Spirit in his ministry of assisting our spiritual growth. And when fault lines occur, let us submit to the Holy Spirit, glorify God, and seek God's wisdom, relying on him for growth. Go this week embracing the fault lines, engaging in God, and loving one another. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.